Welcome to the Financially Independent Teachers Podcast, where educators come together to discuss their journey on the road to financial independence. Now, please join our co-host, Dave and Brandon, as they prepare to help other educators get fit with their finances. Welcome and thanks for joining us for our most recent episode of the Financially Independent Teachers Podcast. Welcome my co-host Brandon to the show. What is good in your world, coach? Um, everything's good in my world, actually. Um, it's it's a really good time. We're getting ready to go back to school full time. I don't know how everybody feels about that, but I'm excited about it. And uh, we've got uh, Ed and Aaron Walsh on the show tonight, and I'm really excited about having them on the show. Um and I'll, I'll probably talk a little bit more about that later, but it's going to be a good show tonight, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, there isn't a specific theme for tonight's show. Uh, we're going to have you give a quick recap of last week, which was on student loans. But I think it's really cool tonight, the fact that we have a husband and wife couple who are both in education, and they're both going to retire from education, I'm sure, here in the next handful of years if they want to. So they've made it through that grind that we were talking about. And it will be a lot of fun to have four people on the show today. But before we get to Ed and Aaron, do you mind giving us a quick recap of David, the budget teacher from Kansas City, and what your takeaways were from the student loan special we had last week? Last week was a it was a different kind of show, and and you know I would encourage anybody, especially teachers uh, who have student loan debt, especially if you're you're kind of drowning in it, or you know, or or even if you're not. Uh, to go back and listen to that episode, uh, Dave gave us a lot of uh, David gave us a lot of uh, uh, advice. Um, he gave us uh, some understanding about how student loan forgiveness works, and um, and and you know I, I don't know that I mean there was it was impossible for him to unpack all of that in in one show, but I think he gave us enough so that if you want to know more, you could definitely find out more. And the biggest takeaway I took away from it was. I don't know if I would trust myself to navigate that, that road by myself. Uh, it seems to be, it sounds like a, a pretty complicated game to, to learn the rules for. And, uh, and I thought that it would be, you know, probably a great idea to at least have a conversation with someone like him, uh, you know, to, before you get started on that and, and possibly mess up. Uh, but the other things that I took, for, took away from that show was, um, you know, some of the same things, uh, you know, he, the, he, when he was when we asked him uh, what kind of advice would he give, man, he threw the idea of a budget and not just, a, you know, I think sometimes we think, OK, yeah, yeah, budget, I've got one, you know, um, to, but to have it in front of your face all the time and to really analyze where every penny is going. Um, I don't th- I know that I didn't do that in my 20s. I didn't even come close to doing that. And. Uh, I think that, I mean, I had a rough idea, but I was kind of, again, you know, we've talked about this before. I was one of those that I kind of took a vow of poverty when I started teaching. I didn't think it was possible to create wealth as a teacher. And so I, I didn't really, I just said, well, as long as I pay my bills every month, what difference does it make? You know, and uh, I can't, I, I don't even want to imagine all the money I threw away. And so I thought that was just a, a great piece of advice. And it's advice we've heard. Uh, and I, I'll bet we're going to keep hearing it because people who are successful with money usually have some sort of a budget style that, that, that fits that mold. So, Yeah, I think even though we do this podcast and I do the certified financial coaching, just being honest, I think that bringing it to a letter grade uh, as a teacher, I think my knowledge on student loans is probably a D or maybe a C minus. Yeah, I felt too. like it definitely increased having listened to the interview, but As you said, there's so much to unpack with it. And David at the budget teacher would be more than happy to sit down with you or have a Zoom call. He's all about helping other educators. And I hope you'll go back and listen to that last episode. So in North Carolina is a coach, which both of us are. Uh, We have the pleasure of being school bus drivers with our CDL. And as I had an hour and 15 minute drive home from Havelock High School tonight, I was brainstorming our guests for tonight. And I thought, what are some of the benefits of being a teacher and marrying a fellow teacher? I'm sure there's pros and cons. We're going to get to Ed and Aaron in a second over that. It could be a lot of fun. But the pros that I was thinking about, Coach, I'll try to make it quick, is number one, you have the ability to get to two pensions. Uh, in North Carolina, you could also collect two Social Security checks. And I kind of ran this out a little bit because I've dealt with clients in the past in their situation. 
And let's say at 62 years old, that's when you, when you can actually touch your social security for the first time at a reduced rate. Uh, a North Carolina or any teacher's pension, if your state has one, would probably be somewhere around $1,600 per month, uh, which is $3,200 a month combined. And in North Carolina, both teachers are probably looking somewhere in the ballpark, depending on which county you teach in, at maybe like a $2,500 a month pension. So when you add in your pension plus your social security, that ends up being $8,200 a month-ish. And that ends up being over $98,000 a year. So we're kind of fast forwarding to 62. That's a pretty good thing to know that you have these guaranteed benefits of maybe making a hundred grand a year, the rest of your life and doing nothing. If you don't want to, I thought of summer, Christmas and spring breaks spent together as a family. Maybe that could be good. Maybe that could be stressful at times as well. Going to pep rallies, homecoming. I think that's a really cool thing. Uh, the ability maybe to potentially be in the same school as your children. I'm anxious to hear what Ed and Aaron did with that. Cause I know that they have at least one child. I feel like they have more than one. Uh, did their kids go to the same school uh, that they taught? And I'm sure there's pros and cons to that. Uh, also understanding what your spouse goes through. I think sometimes my wife thinks that I do nothing at school. Like, Oh, you had another 90 minute planning period and you're a history <laughs> teacher. You probably showed story of us. Well, maybe, maybe not, but um, understanding what your spouse is going through. Cause it is a crazy world is something that I think could be a benefit. And most importantly, you have twice the impact on society. I forget what the, who said the famous quote, but they said that a coach generally impacts more people in one year than most people will impact in a lifetime. And teachers are the same way. So with our couple tonight, think of how many thousands, maybe over 10,000 students that they've collectively taught together. And think of that ripple effect that Ed and Aaron have probably had with students who are maybe even now in their 30s and 40s, raising families on their own. So I can't wait to bring them on. We're going to go ahead and do that right now. Uh, and I would like to welcome Ed and Aaron to the show. How are you guys doing tonight? Great. Doing fantastic. We Thanks appreciate you joining us. And uh, before we get to all the questions, I'm kind of curious, the list that I was brainstorming as I was driving the bus, although I was, of course, paying attention to the road. Do you agree, <laughs> do you agree with any of those things or maybe disagree? Uh, yes, I, um, so I think there's a lot of pros of working together. We'll see what uh, my better half says about that. Um, we actually met, um, while teaching at our Swansboro high school and my classroom was actually one away from Ed almost the whole time we we're there and we both teach mathematics. So we had a lot in common. Um, and now we work together at Onzo early college. So, um, we've always worked together and I love summer break and I love spring break. We've had some great times together. Um, would you agree on that? Oh yeah. It's, <laughs> and, and the point you brought up about being kind of on the same schedule as your children. Excellent. Um, it, the financial on talk, talking about that, I'm actually, I actually did retire technically in 2018. Uh, I'm working halftime back in the system. Um, I'm a little bit older than Erin, so she's still got a couple of years left to, to fill that out. But uh, it, it has worked for us. I, I don't know that it would work for every couple to be together all the time like that, but it, it, it works for us. We've never really had an issue with it, fortunately. Right. Knock on wood, tomorrow could be different. Yeah. Who knows? And actually, um, now at the early college, um, we don't have a lot of space there, so we actually share a classroom. I teach in the room in the morning, and he has it in the afternoon, so we are definitely 100% together there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I guess that's working out well. I can tell. I, it's, it, at which, you know, the two of you guys, um, I, was telling, I was telling you earlier, when I first got to Swansboro High School and met you guys, you guys had a, a really big influence on me uh, as far as um, the way teachers conduct themselves, carry themselves, uh, you know, the way you guys interacted with your colleagues, with, with the kids, with, I mean, all the way around, um, you guys are just really professional, just always really professional. I just kind of always, when I think of what teachers are supposed to be, I mean, you're two of the people that I think of, honestly. And, um, and so, uh, that, so, so that, that you had a major influence on me when I, and when I first got to Swansboro, I was still sort of young. I was getting older. Uh, but, but the years that I had spent in Fayetteville, 
Um, you know, I hadn't met anybody uh, and that's not, and this is not a, a put down. If I have any teachers that are listening that I, I taught with at Douglas bird, it was just a different vibe there. And, uh, and, and I didn't, I had never met anyone quite, you know, like you guys. And so I just always, I guess what I'm trying to say is I've always admired you, uh, both of you. Um, and so I'm really excited to have you guys on the show. I also know it's a really exciting time for you guys because, I'm just going to ask you a little bit about your kids because both of your yeah. kids are just killing it right now. And so I thought I might give you an opportunity just to kind of brag about them just a little bit. Um, Great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, first off, our kids did go to elementary school in Onslow County. They went to Swansboro Elementary, which we loved. Um, but then we had moved to Carteret County um, as a family. And we had decided um, that we did not want to teach our own children and we wanted them uh, to experience, um, especially high school without mom and dad um, mm. in their business and knowing everything about them. Um, and, and they were fine with that. Middle school was a hard transition at first. And then they made some friends um, in Carter County. And um, I think Crotan was a good fit for both of them. Um, so I know some people want to teach their children. I mean, not that I didn't want to teach them, but I wanted them to have some freedom. And, you know, if they made a sports team, I didn't want it because dad was the athletic director, you know, um, if they were at Swansboro. So, um, yeah, so both of our kids, um, our son is at NC State and he is graduating here um, in May with a computer science engineering degree. Um, so he is um, really into game design, um, but his, but his majors in computer science and our daughter is at Chapel Hill. She's a sophomore and she got into the school of journalism recently. Um, she's pursuing, um, a degree in political science, public relations, and a minor in Spanish. Um, so they're, they're thriving. Um, although it has been hard uh, with COVID, um, Molly does have a class each day now on campus, but EJ, um, all of his classes have gone 100% virtual um, this semester. Ed, I don't know if your daughter's interested, but Ohio State has a great master's program for uh, journalism. <laughs> well, I heard you're a Penn State a, fan, so I had to get yeah. my Ohio State thing uh, Yeah, in there. I was going to say the Buckeyes aren't real high on my list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Coach Marsh gave me the heads up that I had to make a Penn State <laughs> comment for you. So yeah. I'm a big Buckeye, but I'm a huge Big Ten fan. Are you from Pennsylvania? I am. I grew up just north of Pittsburgh. Okay. What what town? Uh, Hermitage. Hermitage. Sharon. Uh, I am from, I was born in Warren, Ohio. I am from Cornwall, Oh, yeah. Ohio. Okay. Yes. Um, so yeah, I mean, we, we were right across the border with Ohio, right there on, on I-80. Yeah, 80, early 82 into Sharon. Uh, we actually yep. go to um, Cranax for Christmas with our kids, and we go to Dallas. Yeah, and we with, do that with the, big, uh, the big buses would come in, and everybody would go to Cranax for Christmas, yes. How many years have you taught? You said you're still teaching. Can you give us a rundown, each of you, how many years you have in? I thought I heard that maybe, Ed, you had retired and then come back. Can you give us a rundown on that? Yes. Um, so I did, I did 29 years, actually, all at Swansboro High School. Um, and then I, I retired in 2018, and then I sat out the six months, and I really wasn't going to do anything in education. Um, but Jay Strope at the early college offered me the opportunity, and that's and I went back. And I, it, it's it's an ideal situation. I don't I don't think I would have gone back to a other school, but that situation in particular really really suited me. Yes, and I was calculating, um, so I knew that question might come up. Uh, I am finishing my 27th year of teaching in Onslow County, um, so it had all been at Swansboro High School until I took the job at the early college, and um, one of the reasons I took it, because I knew Ed was going to be retiring soon, and it felt like Swansboro was in a little bit of a transition period, um, and although I loved it there, um, I really couldn't give up an opportunity to be a part of something brand new, and um, I thought that would really um, helped me stay in education all the way to the end, um, being a part of uh, the early college. So, I, and, and I'm, I'm hesitant, you know, I got, I got to be careful not to answer the questions for you because I, I, I kind of know some of the answers to these, but, but um, talk, talk to us a little bit about some of the extracurriculars that you have participated in, not just maybe within the school, but also things that you've done in education outside of the school um, that you were involved in during your careers. Um, most of mine uh, would be 
uh, athletically involved. Uh, you know, I, I was the varsity boys basketball coach, coached football for several years uh, before the Spice guy showed up and kind of took over the program at Swansboro. Um, <laughs> uh, I coached golf. Um, I was the athletic director towards the end of my tenure. tenure. Um, outside of that, I did do the national boards. I did get my master's degree at one, at, in the early 2000s. Um, but again, most of my extra stuff was athletic, whereas Aaron was much more the educational side of things. Right. So it's hard to have two full-time coaches in the house. And not that I had any skills probably in anything worthy of coaching. Um, I did coach the dance team and I was uh, the color guard for many years at Swansboro High School. Um, and then many clubs, um, future teachers, um, student government for a time. Yeah. So um, outside of it, though, um, currently I'm working on getting my um, AIG licensure. So I'll finish that here next month, taking classes at UNCW for that. Um, I have also um, been an AP reader. So for statistics since 2011. Um, and I currently serve as a, actually a rubric creator. So I help make the rubrics and um, for how the scoring goes in the summertime for those AP exams. And I've also worked for NIMSI, which is the National Math and Science Initiative since about 2014. Um, and I work with teachers all over the US and students, um, helping them better understand statistics. Um, this year has been a little bit hard with that because everything's been virtual. Um, but usually I travel around. Um, mostly I just focus on the East Coast. But that's so you guys what I've been doing. Seem to be maxing out everything you can in education. I'm sure some of those things, Aaron, that you're doing, are there stipends involved with that when you're? Yes. Um, so um, NIMSI has a flat rate that I get paid for that. Um, so yes. And also being an AP reader, I work, I think this summer I'm working from June 8th to June 24th, pretty much uh, doing that. So um, there is an overall stipend for that one. So Ed has his master's in national boards, which in North Carolina, um, unfortunately, they've gotten rid of master's pay unless you were grandfathered in, I believe, before uh, 2014. So Ed, you're grandfathered in with master's pay, which is a 10% salary increase. You have the national board, which is a 12% salary increase. Aaron, do you have the same credentials as well? Um, I do have national boards, but I don't have my master's. Gotcha. I mean, what a big difference, I think, for educators out there. In North Carolina, it's a tough time right now. Um, and hopefully this podcast can shed some light on teachers who are making it happen. And I think that we can, all we can do is really exhaust all the options that we currently have available. So just with the, those three things, not counting the coaching and the AP and stuff like that, you're looking at a 34% salary increase based on you guys going the extra mile to get those certifications. So that is a job well done. Can you share a little bit with uh, the audience where you each went to college and one of the biggest questions I have, and we know we're in a student loan debt crisis right now, what did your student loan situation look like when you graduated? Where did you guys go and did you have student loan debt? Um, well, I went to UNC Wilmington and um, I will say my parents loosely told me that um, I needed to get a full ride <laughs> if I wanted to go to college or have it paid for. Um, so I was an NC. Um, or North Carolina teaching fellows. Um, so I had a full ride to Wilmington. And so when I graduated, I actually had some money in my account um, because I had a job throughout college. And um, back then with the teaching fellow scholarship and any other scholarship I got, whatever didn't go to the university, I got a check from the registrar's office that went in my pocket. Um, so it was almost like I made a profit um, while I was in college. So that was good. Um, I went to the Penn State University uh, <laughs> uh, and, and graduated there with my uh, bachelor's degree in mathematics. Um, I had some scholarships. My parents uh, helped me through the rest. So I really didn't have a lot of uh, debt when I came out. Uh, when I did the master's degree, I did that at the ever illustrious University of Phoenix um, to, to get the degree. And, and honestly, and, and it was to get the degree, to get the pay raise. It was not, um, you know, financially at the time I had just done my national board. So I was already rolling on that, 
typing papers type thing. So I figured it was a good time to do it. Um, had to take out a little bit of a loan there, uh, but I was able to pay that off relatively quickly. Uh, so it was definitely a financial bonus to, to get that done. It was, our kids were still pretty young um, and that extra money really, really did help. I mean, it made all the difference in terms of what we were able to do moving forward. Um, and, and Aaron mentioned this a little bit in her answer, but could, um, could, uh, but just, uh, but only touched on it. Um, your relationship with money growing up as a kid, you know, and that question kind of, you can kind of take it a few different ways, uh, that, you know, what, what you were taught about money and finances as a kid, um, what you observed, um, you know, it, th- those types of things, it, when we think about relationship with money growing up, those kinds of things, what was your relationship with money growing up? Um, I'll say my dad was retired military and then he worked civil service. And by the time I was born, my parents were 40, 41. Um, so I was a late in life child. The other siblings were almost grown and out of the house. Um, but I'd say that um, my dad provided, you know, very well for us. But in hindsight, like looking back, you know, both my parents had their own car, car. Um, we lived in a nice house in Jacksonville, nice neighborhood. Uh, but we did not go out to eat. We did not um, travel. Um, the money was just, you know, I, and I didn't know any difference. So like we went out to eat for my 18th birthday. You know, it was a big deal. The whole family went out. Um, if we went on vacation, it was a day at Onslow Beach. So um, nothing was put aside for frivolous things. It was all spent on the house and money and food, you know, it was well spent. Um, but as you know, when we got married, I definitely said to Ed that I wanted to take our kids on vacation every year. If, you know, if we could save for that, that's, you know, something I wanted them to experience to get around and travel. And, and growing up, like I said, I didn't realize I was missing out. But then when you go off to college, and then you do get to go on trips and different things, you're like, Oh, there's something out there. Right. Yeah. Um, mine was a little different. My father was very, he, he was, a, he was actually a professor of chemistry at Penn state. Um, and then he got out when I was probably about 10 and went into the private sector and started working for, it was Westinghouse at the time. Um, and he was, he's very money savvy. And I can remember him when I was a teenager talking to me about, investing and stuff like that. And oh my God, I thought this is the most boring conversation. You know, when you're, you're 15 years old, the last thing you really want to care about is, you know, putting money in a mutual fund that I don't even know what that is at that point. Um, but somehow I think a lot of it, you know, it seeped in, it took a long time for it to become where I kind of, the light bulb went off for me. Um, it was probably right, right about when Aaron and I got married and you start realizing, hey, living paycheck to paycheck as a single guy isn't going to cut it uh, moving forward. But, you know, a lot of those lessons that he, he gave me really kind of came to fruition for me at that point. We often hear that in education, you can't really build wealth. Um, I mentioned on episode one when we had Brandon Akins, who you guys might have taught at Swansboro High School. He's married to Leilani, who's also a Swansboro yes. graduate. Oh, yeah. um, some people say, oh, if you're going to be a teacher, you're going to be poor. And if you are a teacher and you marry a teacher, you're like double poor. I don't know how that works <laughs> in that world, But do you think that building wealth and education is possible? And could you maybe detail what was it like as you started out as a young married couple, you know, when maybe you know, raises were slow to come by and uh, North Carolina hadn't paid their teachers maybe as much as they've recently gotten up to. How did that work? And has it taken a lot of time to build wealth? And do you think it's possible? I would say um, I was very naive when I first graduated college, thinking that the pay scale I saw was going to be my pay scale for life. So I had no idea um, of the politics behind um, education. Obviously, I do now. And I did very quickly once I had a job, um, but we were lucky, at least when I got an education a little bit after Ed, um, we hit a boom where we were getting pretty good raises. We were in the crowd that was, 
you know, when they would say an overall percentage, we were actually in the group that was getting that percentage. Um, it's been recently that I've been kind of frozen when I hit year uh, 20. Uh, yeah, I didn't get my bump at 25 that I've been waiting for um, when it changed. Um, but when we first started off, um, I had money, like I said, because, um, you know, I graduated, you know, I had those scholarships. So I had a little bit when we met. Um, and then I, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a little bit of debt, I think, is actually, uh, we used some of hers to pay off my credit card, I think, when we first got married. Yes. Um, but <laughs> that being said, uh, no, what, what we started doing, obviously, is that, and again, there's no, I have no secret formula. Um, you know, it's the stuff that you typically hear that's not sexy, it's not flashy, you know, start putting a little bit away, start and getting started is really the toughest part. Um, I can remember putting a couple of thousand dollars in, in a mutual fund through Vanguard and I would watch it, you know, I'd check it every day. Like somehow that couple of thousand dollars was going to, and it, it's almost deflating because it, it doesn't seem to be doing a whole lot, but you know, you do it for, it's the drop in the bucket. You know, you do it for that, you know, every month you're putting a little bit more in, a little bit more in. When you get a raise, you take part of that and kind of set it aside. You know, you, you keep part to, to do what you want to do with. Like Aaron said, we, you know, we, we don't feel like we've missed out on things. We go on vacations. We don't deny enjoying life, but you take a little bit, you set it aside. And over time, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you kind of turn around and time goes pretty fast. Uh, you turn around and all of a sudden, you know, that couple of thousand dollars here, a couple thousand dollars there, you know, you hit six figures and all of a sudden you start to see things moving. And then, you know, the, the old adage that it takes money to make money, it's true. Cause once you get more, it, it increases, quicker. And then you start to kind of feel the, the rush of that. Um, Cause you start to see that like, Hey, maybe this is going to work. Maybe I am going to have some security in my old age and you know, there's going to be something for my kids at the end and all that good stuff. And I know we, we try to live like that money's not there. So we live on what we keep in our bank account too. Like that's what we think we have most of the time. And Try not to, oh, we have all these thousands of dollars over here. Let's um, redo the backyard or let's, you know, go to Hawaii. Um, that's not uh, what that money is for. You know, we have a rainy day fund. We have um, funds that are just living our life. And um, I don't know if all couples are like this, but Ed and I have uh, different bank accounts. I'm on his bank account. He's on mine. But um, we use our money for different things around the household. So he pays for the mortgage and um, vacations or if we go out to eat most of the time. And then I'm, I pay for the cars and insurance, um, internet, um, household things like that. So we have set things that we pay. And so, you know, if he's going to get new golf shoes or golf <laughs> clubs, um, that's his money. And he knows how much he has and I know where my budget is and, and where I am. If I want to go get new running shoes or, you know, new dress or whatever, um, you know, we don't question each other on that because it's very trusting that, you know, that's your finances. The house is being paid for. We're setting money aside to pay off the kids college debt um, or anything in the future. Um, and we, I will go back and say, um, after we built our first house, when we sold it, it was at a, a booming time in the early 2000s. So we made a nice profit off the very first house that we built. Yeah, we were very, we've been very fortunate in the timing yeah. of our, our homes. So, you know, the house that we live in currently is a, is a product of that. You know, we, we made a nice a chunk of change. And right now it kind of seems like we should be selling again. We're kind of <laughs> watching the market in our neighborhood and we're like, hmm, if that house on the corner sells for that, maybe we should go. Um, because timing is, is a lot with the real estate as well. Everything is for sale at the right price, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, it, you got to be flexible on those kind of things. That's right. So two questions come um, really from listening to, 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 to your story so far. 
The first one is, uh, and I'm going to kind of ask both of them, and you guys got to answer them, um, however, whatever order and however you choose to. One of the things that we've noticed on on this show, everybody, you're the first couple we've interviewed, but every person we've interviewed uh, just about has mentioned at some point the cooperation with their spouse when it comes to financial goals um, and that they were on the same page. It wasn't like one was trying to convince the other, no, we have to save, we have to, no, no, no. I mean, they really, they're on the same page. And so I'd love to hear a little bit more about that and about how those conversations look uh, when you're talking about budgeting and when you're talking about, you know, whatever you, you, you would want to share there. And then the other thing is, if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about, uh, if not specifics, maybe um, uh, kind of a, uh, you know, just some idea of what the, your net worth will look like in retirement. Um, so I'll, I'll go to the first question first. And I, I, we've just always been very fortunate, I guess, or meld very well. We've, uh, I don't think we've ever argued about money. Um, it, you know, I know they say that's one of the big ones. Um, you know, the biggest argument we will have is like, okay, if there's a new bill that, you know, who's paying this, but you know, we just kind of divvy things up. Um, it's never really come down to, there's never been an accusation thrown or anything like that. Um, we don't, honestly, we don't talk a lot about money, (laughs) Uh, you know, we just kind of trust each other to handle, uh, I typically handle the investing side of things. Um, like I, you know, I don't know that Aaron's ever been into her 401k account. Um, I go in there and yes, I go in there and I, you know, periodically check on things. And if we need to change something, we change it. Um, like I said, when we would get raises, uh, I would usually go into both of ours and, you know, bump up uh, our contribution amounts. Yeah. Um, you know, she's every now and then I'll tell her, I'll be like, Hey, this is kind of where we are. And yeah. just so she has a heads mm-hmm. up and she'll be like, I won't remember that anyway. <laughs> um, and I used to be very financially um, like invested in my own money when I was single, um, you know, back in the day when I would balance my checkbook and, you know, I was aware and I would track where all my money was going and, um, you know, graphically know what percentage was going to car and what was going to house. Um, but then as we've grown older and, um, you know, we trust each other completely financially. So, um, and like I said, we have our own accounts and we're accountable for, for ourselves, but then also make sure all the bills are paid. Um, I, I think that might be a different situation um, than a lot of people have. I, I used to have a, a debit card that went to Ed's account, but I don't even have that anymore. Um, I, I just don't need to. Um, I think it's important that I'm uh, financially stable on my own as well, not to say anything's going to happen um, because, you know, <laughs> just like I, I think each spouse should feel like they could support themselves in case of something happening. Um, not, I'm not talking divorce or death or but just in general, like I had some friends when they were young and got married, they didn't have any money of their own. And so, and then when the marriage went south, then, you know, they were out of luck, you know, being able to support themselves and starting over. Um, so I think it's important um, for young teachers to be financially stable on their own before um, going into a relationship. So that was a really long answer, Brandon. I think we only answered your first question. Uh, <laughs> what, what was the, the second question? When we retire, net worth. Oh, the net worth. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're we're getting we're obviously getting very close to the yes. the, re, the retirement part. Aaron, Aaron would like it to be closer than what it is for her. Yes, and we have recently looked at that, like how many sick days I have that I can use. Like when can I retire? So I'm looking at retiring at the end of 2023. Um, so I'll have enough sick leave and whatnot. And um, I know Mr. Strope, if he's listening, I'm definitely depending on me to come back part time. So I'll definitely do that for a little bit um, Why Ed finally gets to fully retire um, and enjoy that. Um, but I will be 50 years old in 2023, about to turn 51. So I think it's pretty amazing um, that I could retire um, with all those benefits at that age, you know, cause everybody's like, what are you going to do after that? I'm like, well, I'll teach a little bit longer, but 
then I'm, I'm finished. I think I know, I'm sure I'll get bored and I'll do my other uh, side jobs. But uh, um, for me, I like to stay busy like that. Ed, you know, he has his pastimes and sports, but um, I've always been an educator. So I, I, and I, I don't know if you guys have discussed it, but you know, the way the North Carolina legislature has set up the pay scale essentially now um, is it's almost like they want teachers to not make it to that magical 30 year pension mark. Um, Cause really from 25 years on the way it sets up now, you, you, you hardly get Frozen. any kind of mm -hmm. raise. Um, you know, obviously they're trying to do that because that saves them money out of the pension fund in the long run. Um, so the raises are typically going to the earlier teachers. Since I retired, I had 29 years, I had enough time to go to 30 years, which was full benefits. And by doing that and then coming back and working halftime, it was about a $25,000 a year raise between my pension and the halftime. And that's the only way I was going to get a raise. Um, was so you, you, it hits a point where obviously you're not going to eat. I love teaching, but I'm not going to do it for free uh, type thing. So, so that was part of that. Um, so where we're at right now, financially, uh, we're, we're in a pretty good place. Obviously you market can fluctuate um, constantly, but um, if you put everything together, 401ks, investments, property investments, things like that. Right now, we're, we're really probably just a hair over a million dollars. Um, now, I did do, and I know you were talking about, um, Dave, you were talking about the retirement aspect of things. I did, because I retired at 52, um, I actually did the retirement where um, I took part of my uh, social security in advance, the, the leveling, the level, I did the leveling um, by my calculations. You know, I crunched the numbers, the break even point for me would be at about 67 and a half. Um, and I figured at that point, you know, I, I, finances becomes a little bit, everything should be kind of set in stone at that point anyway. Uh, plus having two kids in college, taking some of the money up front, Seemed like a good idea for me. Um, you know, and again, it depends on when you retire, whether it's a good idea or not. I think everybody needs to kind of make those decisions for themselves. Like Aaron, we probably will not um, because we won't be in the same financial yes. yeah. situation. Mom, the kids, will, kids will be out of school yeah. at that point. So, so your daughter will be at Ohio. Do. She'll be done with Ohio State by then. <laughs> Only if it's a full ride. Oh, <laughs> and even then, I don't know. Well, I appreciate you. I mean, so basically what you're saying, and, and obviously I don't know you guys that well, Brandon does, you seem very humble about it. And it's not like you're out here like flashing, you know, gold chains around, but we're talking to net worth millionaire, North Carolina teachers, which I think as many of us know, uh, as you get close to that, you know, a million dollars sounds like a lot of money, but that doesn't mean it's liquid. You know, it could be the house. It could be yeah. stuff that's locked away till 59 right. and a half. And, and I think a lot of people who maybe don't have money would think, oh my gosh, if you're a millionaire, you can just do anything you want. But as you get close no. to that, you still kind of feel like you're just middle-class or lower middle-class because you can't just go wild with it. It's not like it's some massive amount of wealth that you can just do anything you want and fly all over the place, but it goes to show that it is possible. And Brandon, what was the research from Chris Hogan's Everyday Millionaire books? Yeah, I don't know if you guys read um, Hogan's book on uh, the everyday millionaire, but they interviewed thousands and thousands of of people who were um, worth. If you added up all of the, what they were worth and subtracted what they owed, they were worth a million dollars or more. And they called them everyday millionaires. And um, the number three most represented profession was teachers in that book. And one of the wow, things I didn't know that. Yeah, I, you know, and 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 that one knocked me for for a loop a little bit because I didn't, I didn't even think that was possible. You know, I really didn't. And, and you know, when I was a kid, when I was a younger teacher, nobody talked about finance. I mean, I'm sure somebody was doing well around me when I first started teaching. I'm sure, that, but we just didn't talk about it. I just assumed everybody took the same vow of poverty that I did. <laughs> uh, you know, we were in a mission field. You know, that's that's the way I looked at it. And um, 
but but to see that, you know, it all kind of started to make sense to me. I was like, wow, I wish I didn't waste. I wish I wouldn't have wasted, you know, a decade and a half here, uh, because because if you make really wise decisions, um, you know, you can you can get there. You know, you can really do well for yourselves. Um, what, how old were you guys when you would say, and you've kind of given the narrative a little bit, but just to kind of na- nail down a number, um, how old were you guys when you were intentionally trying to manage your finances in a way to create wealth? How old would you say you guys were when you started? It was probably right after we got married. Um, like I said, I really didn't, um, I, I hadn't accrued any kind of, all, all I had was what was in my bank account because like I said, I didn't grow up in a family that was investing and whatnot. So everything was in the bank making whatever percent. Um, so I, well, when we got married, I was mid 20. Well, you were 24 and I was 30. So, so, so I'm the old guy. Got, so, so, so basically um, mid to late twenties there is where you guys were. Mm-hmm. Um that you know so so for the for teachers out there that are around that age um let's get started it's never too late yeah but, you know and it's I, honest to god it's it's like the Shawshank redemption line it's it's time and pressure you just a little bit at a time you just keep going and you know don't don't dwell on it just do it and it really it, it's amazing to me i look back on it i'm still amazed at how it, you know it it seems like it, it, there's no way it would work that it would happen. You know, people always told you that, that, you know, Hey, put a little bit away, put a little bit away, do that, you know, just keep doing it. Uh, And look, we don't, again, we're not, we're not living a, you know, a a poor lifestyle. We, you know, we go on vacations. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't, we don't have a rich lifestyle. We don't shop at the the high end Mm -hmm. places. We don't, drive the best cars, but we drive nice cars. Um, you know, it it doesn't have to be, you know, all, all the time, everything focused on that, that financial aspect. I mean, you just have, like you said, your, your key thing is, is do it and make smart decisions as you're doing it. Right. And I didn't say earlier, but I, I meant to say, um, Credit card debt is is big. I've never had um, or owed more than two thousand dollars on my Visa card at any time. Um, that's my personal in my mind that that's out of control if I get to two thousand dollars, and that would usually be around Christmas time, and then I'd make sure I paid it off by June every year um, or whatnot. And then other little cards I have, um, you know, like Old Navy or Belks, um, those those never get outrageous, no more than a hundred or so. Um, so I think some younger people. Um, credit cards might uh, be a downfall with the interest rates and whatnot. Um, but if you can't pay it off at the end of the month, then you probably shouldn't be charging it. And, you know, unless you need like a major appliance for your house or, you know, something um, you have to have, but uh, credit card debt is something we've tried to never have. Right. seems like one of the issues we have as Americans is differentiating between wants and needs. And it sounds like you guys have done a really good job of prioritizing the needs, but also there's nothing wrong with having wants, but I've been giving an example with my students teaching personal finance at Jacksonville high school that basically, you know, investing into say a Roth IRA or your 401k, if you were to have that, or maybe um, your TSP, if you were to join the military, doing that stuff is like eating your meat and potatoes and your fruits and vegetables. Like as parents, we don't let our kids have dessert before they eat their meat and potatoes and fruits and vegetables. And, you know, the cars and maybe a boat and the vacations, that's all dessert. And I think a lot of us in America, we're, we're loading up on junk food per se when it comes to, to personal finance. And we're not taking care of the stuff that we really need to take care of to help us grow into the situation that you're in. And that word millionaire is just so catchy. You know, as people see this or hear this, oh my gosh, it's a millionaire North Carolina teacher couple, how could they do it? I have two questions for you. Um, question number one is like, what percent, well, I actually have a couple questions beyond that. Question number one is what percentage of your like roughly $1 million or so net worth was inherited or gifted to you? Um, actually we, uh, Aaron's mother passed away a couple of years ago and we got, 
$50,000, and um, we put $25,000 towards the kids' education. That went straight to NC State. Um, and then the other $25,000, I still have about $10,000 of that left. We use that for some home improvements in there. Um, we got some new appliances. Um, we've had the house painted on the inside. Oh, a new bathroom shower um, in our bathroom. Um, so we spent 15,000 on home improvements and then there's 10,000 still sitting there um, for emergency or whatnot or more home improvement or as we think to move, um, you know, what needs to be fixed up here at this house before we transition to the next. Now I will say um, it's not really inheritance, but both of our families, um, have always been there at crucial times if we needed a, you know, a loan, um, or we needed a little bit of money to like, like when we bought the property that our house is on, Brandon's been to our house. We bought the property a couple years before we actually built the house. Um, you know, a really good deal came open. I didn't have the money at the time, but I called my dad and, you know, we worked something out that, that he, he, you know, loaned me the money to get it. So, so we have had assistance. It's not, and, and that's, that helps look. Um, and I know not everybody is fortunate enough to have that. We, we are lucky. Uh, we know that, that, that we have had a family, like I said, that has kind of been there to at key moments if, if we've needed some assistance. Yeah, it's nice some, to, have, some things. to have family that, that can help out like that. It sounds like the majority of what you guys do have though, is just simply discipline. Like you said, pounding away, and it seems like the majority of what you guys have is probably from your own doing on these North Carolina salaries. I also wondered, so you said you got married at 30 and 24. Would you say it was like roughly like a 25 to 30 year process to become net worth millionaires? Like when you look back at it? Oh yeah. I mean, it just, um, like I don't check it that often, you know, when I, where I go through and actually compile everything. Um, but I had, you know, I had just done it. Uh, usually it's around Christmas because we're on break uh, and I have time to kind of update all my portfolio, you know, everything like that. And that's when it, you know, and it was, it's exciting. It was exciting to go, Hey, you know, if, if we sold the house, we, you know, right. <laughs> we have, but like I said, it's not, it's not money that <laughs> it's not sitting anywhere that I could pull it out right now and start waving it around. Um, <laughs> you know, that's just not how it works. Uh, you know, our, it still feels every month, like, you know, we're pay paying the same bills we've been paying for 25 years. And oh, we did get know, rid of cable though. Let's brag true. about that. That's true. We <laughs> cut our cable bill. Um, so, it, it, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't feel any different than it did 10 years ago right now. Um, I will say that one of the things that we found out very quickly when uh, when our kids started college is as two educators in North Carolina, it kind of puts you in that gray zone of you make too much money to really qualify for a lot of assistance, but you don't really have as much as they think you should have to put towards stuff. Mm -hmm. um, when you fill out the FAFSA, <laughs> yes. uh, the amount of money that they <laughs> think we should be able to throw at was college about, was, was about my take-home pay. Yeah, so... <laughs> So I, I will put that out there that it does kind of put you in a bind in, in certain circumstances. Good point. So two questions there. Um, and, and I think we're kind of coming to the end here, but a um, couple questions there. First of all, did you guys uh, invest in a, in a 529 or anything like that? Any kind of college investment for your kids as they were coming up? And then the, um, I, I started a, Okay, I, I started a mutual fund um, when my our son was our first child when he was born, but I did not do a five twenty nine. And I'll, and again, look, people, no matter who you are, you're going to make mistakes financially. Through you know, you co you hope you learn from them and get better as time goes on. In hindsight, I I, sh I should have done that the five twenty nine plan. My my thought at the time was. The 529 might be too restrictive in terms of the usage of the money. You know, if, the, if your children don't end up going to college, um, plus just the getting it done. I wasn't that, you know, I, I hadn't done a lot financially at that point. Um, so I did not. I started a fund, a mutual fund mm -hmm. um, that I put, you know, $200 in a month. Um, fortunately, not, you know, again, 
so that fund's still there, but by going back to work, I've been able to pay the, the college stuff without actually dipping into that fund. Nice. Um, so now that becomes part of our savings for the, for the future. And, and, you know, we obviously hope to do like our parents did and be there when our children, you know, when those key moments come, uh, when they have opportunities that we'd like to be able to help them out too. That's awesome. So the other thing that I wanted to ask, and let, and going back to Dave's question a minute ago, um, I, I know why he asked that question, because there's this misconception that the only way that you can create real wealth is if you're inherited. You know, that's the, the, the you know, the kind of the age old adage, you know, you got your money the old fashioned way you inherited it. And, and we know it was just kind of giving you guys an opportunity to to say, well, no, that's not exactly how it how it happened for us. You know, it was mo- mainly over discipline and budgeting and investing and, and just kind of like you said, time and pressure and moving forward. And, and, and I I think that teachers um, and really anybody who is in sort of the same classification financially as teachers, I mean, it doesn't have to just be teachers. It could be anybody that's making similar money. There's this, there's this real hope that they can create uh, a really good life for themselves uh, both now and in retirement. And so this is a great time to kind of ask um, what kind of advice would you give to people that are just starting out? Um, what would you say to them? Education, right? You said anybody just starting out on there? Yeah, anybody um, just starting out. Right. So like, our son is about to graduate. So he is just starting out. Um, and in his bank account, um, he has probably what I had uh, when I left college, you know, um, from his summer job money, he still has in there. Um, so for him, he does have his first credit card. He got that um, a year or two ago. But just budgeting, like knowing what the real world is about and knowing the needs versus the wants, because he's more of a, a want person right now and ordering stuff for himself or whatnot. Um, but just financially, you know, once he gets that first job, knowing what that's going to pay, what that take home pay is going to look like, what are those benefits he's going to have, just be very being very financially aware from the beginning and setting that money aside um, even if it's just 50 or a hundred dollars, you know, whatever, um, $20, $20, whatever they can afford um, when they get started um, putting it aside. Yeah. Um, I, I, and I know you teach uh, a financial literacy course, I think to, to your students. Um, I, I don't have that luxury, but when we do compound interest and stuff like that, I always try to explain to the kids, you know, how, this will become relevant. And we get into a discussion of, uh, you know, what money does over time. And, and I try to get, explain it to them by telling them that for them in their first year of work, if they could save $20 a month, that's equivalent to me at my age, saving about $250 a month. Um, because that's, that's what it ends up being. Um, that, you know, it might not seem like anything, you know, and these days, $20 doesn't feel like a lot, but over time it, you know, it does, it adds up, it works, it, it works in your favor down the road. Um, so I don't feel qualified necessarily to tell anybody mm-hmm. how to handle their finances, where to put things. Um, you know, I know what I've done is worked for me um, and, and us, but, you know, do, do, Put something away and find something that you feel is a smart investment. You can be a little more risky with things when you're younger, um, but you still want to put it in, in a place that you feel over time is going to, to, to have value. And that, that's the, like I said, there's just no magic secret to it, really. I think it's, it's just making good, good decisions. I think it's really interesting about the kids and, and trying to show them the compound growth and how valuable their money is at their age at 16, 17 or 18 as high school students compared to ours. I'll do that in personal finance. I'll whip out a $50 bill and I'll ask anybody in class, like, does anybody have a dollar bill? I'll say, you know, if you could have my 50 or your $1 bill, which one would you have? And of course they would rather take my 50, but they can't understand how their $1 was probably actually more valuable than my $50 as an almost 40 year old. So you know, as a young teacher, a lot of times we have student loan debt. We don't make a ton of money. 
as Brandon has said multiple times, like that whole vow of poverty that I don't know if we're going to make it. Maybe you start with 20 bucks a month. Maybe it's, maybe it's $25 a month. A lot of us are just like, screw it. Why would I even invest 10, 15, $25 a month? It's not going to matter anyway. But by the time you hit your sixties, that could easily turn into 200 plus thousand dollars. Oh yeah. It, it, like I said, when you, it, it's so hard. What you just said is exactly mm-hmm. right. When you first start, cause you don't, you can't see it happening. Right. Right. It just feels like it feels money. useless. It just, it feels like it's, you know, you're not accomplishing anything. Um, but when it finally does start clicking down the road and, and again, uh, you know, I'm, I'm certainly older than you guys, but you, you, you know, time, time marches on, it moves pretty quick. Uh, you know, what, what you're thinking of something 20, 30 years down the road, you're thinking that's, you know, forget about that, but Here we it, are. It, it'll get there. <laughs> Um, so making those decisions when you're young and I, again, I, I wish I would have started sooner. I, I, I really didn't start saving any money, uh, until we got married. Mm-hmm. Um, as a saver. Yeah. I mean, that, but, it, but you're also the flip side of that is, you know, you're never too old. I don't think to, to start making the good decisions with the money. People are going to pick up one and, and, and learn from. Um, I was telling uh, our football coach today, we were having a conversation uh, after practice. And I said, you know, ever since I started doing this podcast, um, I've, I've made the comment that if I wasn't helping Dave with it, I would probably definitely be a listener because I learned something every single week and I'm inspired every single week. Um, you know, and the really the last question that I have is, so you guys are approaching retirement now, you know, uh, you guys are getting to that point. If you were talking to someone my age uh, or Dave's age, you know, late 30s, early 40s, what sort of things should we be doing right now to get ourselves prepared? Uh, And I'm kind of catching you off guard with this question. So, you know, uh, it may just be some more of the same, more of the same advice, maybe. But um, is there anything that you can think of that you would tell somebody like me, hey, this is what you need to do um, to prepare yourself in 10, 15 years for, for retirement? You know what? At, at that age, <laughs> like you guys, or I'm sure now, you know, you're just you're just living your life one day at a time. It's really hard um, to think back and go, "Gosh, I made so many great decisions at, at when I was 40." Um, <laughs> you know, you're just trying to, to to raise your family, be a good teacher. Um, you know what? I I mean, at 40, that's when I started taking on more um, roles. Like I said, my AP uh, job with College Board or my NIMSI job, um, all those came uh, later in my career um, for extra finances and also for the joy of being part of that. Um, And you guys are coaches. You know, Ed always had the coaching as well. Um, But there's always little things um, that I think in the long run help financially um, as well as um, you know, you know, watch how you're spending your money. Obviously, are you eating out every day or getting DoorDash um, sent to school? I just um, think that's not the best choice um, for spending your money. Like we like to go out to eat, but we go out maybe once or twice a month in, well, in the summer more. It hasn't been right, much the last twice. year. But in general, um, you know, we'll go out to eat from time to time, but uh, usually um, – you know, at that age, especially because our kids were smaller, we weren't, um, that's not where our finances were going. And, and the credit card debt is big, I think, still. So if you, you know, still have some at that age, I think you really need to get that down uh, to a manageable amount. And I don't, I'd say the one frivolous thing um, for me is I've never paid off a car. Um, I finally, this first time, have a lease um, because I usually get a new car every three to four years. Um, and I think I got that from my dad. Uh, my dad was <laughs> always um, liking cars. Um, so I don't think that has been the most financially uh, responsible thing um, that I have done. Um, but they, like? maybe others. I do, you know, yeah. so, <laughs> and then I don't need new tires or things like that, you know, but. Um, yeah. I, I think if you, it, you know, the, the thing that's helped us the most is you have that money taken out immediately right um either through your 401k at work or you know my vanguard accounts they yeah. just so you don't it, even it's, know it's automatically withdrawn so you, you're you don't even consider that as part of the money that you're 
looking to do the vacation with or things mm -hmm. like that. You, you live within the rest of it. Um, and we've saved a little bit of money to um, doing the, it used to be called cafeteria plan. I don't know what it's called now. The first financial where you have money taken out, um, like my medical debit card. So I have a thousand or two taken out um, so I can pay for medical expenses throughout the year tax-free. And when you have the younger kids, you know, co-pays or orthodontics, um, uh, different things like that, That's that's been helpful financially, being able to pay for that ahead of time, even when you haven't paid for the whole program yet. Yeah, that, that flex benefit card is a really yeah. nice thing that you have, and you can even use it for daycare as well, um, which I think yeah. now mm -hmm. it's increased to roughly a little over $2,000. So I know if you have kids out there and you're a teacher and you know you're going to spend money on braces or mm -hmm. different surgeries that might be coming up or things like that, I highly suggest uh, getting that flex benefits card. It's just like a debit card. And it's so nice when you go to the doctors and you don't have to worry about like taking cash out of maybe your grocery money or having to borrow from your gas money. It keeps everything organized. Brandon and I have been trying to do a really good job because we've had a couple of our friends say, man, the podcast is like way too long in an hour. And we've been, trying to, <laughs> we've been trying to get it under one hour. We're like right at the hour mark right now. But honestly, I don't know how often we're going to come across a married teacher couple that is, is net worth millionaires. So I wanted to ask. We're like, we're like a question. freak show. You guys are, you guys are unicorns for sure. Um, but I want to ask you this, Ed, just for the listeners, do you mind, um, and I hope you guys are okay with five more minutes or so, Max, but do you mind giving us a little bit of a breakdown of like, you mentioned that you use Vanguard. Do you guys have Roth IRAs? Is that just a brokerage account? And then what are the other investment type accounts that you guys have used through the state, whether it be the Prudential 401k, 403b or 457? Can you give us a breakdown on maybe what you use um, and how much is in each maybe? Okay. Uh, so the, the 401ks through the state. Um, I think mine has about 220,000, Aaron's is about 180. Uh, as, as a retiree, even though I'm still working in the system, I can no longer contribute to that. And I'm actually in the process of trying to move it into my brokerage account, but Onslow County has still has me listed as a full-time employee. So that's a whole nother thing. Um, the reason being is I don't love uh, the North Carolina uh, 401k because you just don't have a lot of choices uh, on where to put your money. You don't really know who's, you know, who's managing the funds, that kind of thing. And and that's that's really what I, in my research, I, I don't know that much about it, but I look for, you know, has the management been there for a while? Are they, you know, do they have a record of success, that kind of thing? Um, so we have uh, three Vanguard accounts are actually under, they're all under our names, but kind of in a different order. Um, there's a 401k, or excuse me, a Roth 401k of mine. Um, and then I have two kind of savings funds. The one was the college fund I was mentioning earlier. Uh, it's invested in a fund that's like a 70-30 fund uh, in uh, stocks and then bonds. It's called a star fund. Um, then our other savings is in the Windsor fund through Vanguard. Um, and then the, the Roth is in the healthcare fund, which that has been, you know, in the last 25 mm -hmm. years, you talk about something that has just got done great. I mean, you just, like I said, I put a couple hundred dollars in a month and that thing has just gone crazy. Um, and then I have a brokerage account with uh, Schwab. That's kind of my my, my fun play around with a little bit. I have about 60,000 in there. That's where I, you know, somebody will tell me, Hey, this stock sounds really, and I'll, you know, put a couple, couple thousand dollars on something. GameStop um, and AMC. <laughs> look, I did AMC. I missed out on GameStop, but I started following the wall street bets after GameStop and I jumped in on AMC, made a little bit of money. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Do you have a, do you have an age? Like, is there an age at some point where you're going to just quit investing altogether? Have you mapped that out that like, Hey, once I reach 60, I'm just going to let that stuff continue to compound. Or do you think you'll continue to put money in there? Uh, I definitely think I'll continue to put money in there. I, you know, I, again, I'm, I'd like to leave a little something for the kids when it's done, you know, not, I mean, if we take it with us, we take it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> but uh, no, I, I mean, I think, you know, making good financial decisions, you make it until the end and then hopefully you pass it on and the kids can continue to do it with whatever's left. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will say like um, I have started, you know, as you get older, you do start looking more at things that pay dividends versus growth stocks, um, you know, stuff that's going to provide you with a fairly reliable amount of money, you know, monthly if needed, you know, to, to, uh, you know, augment the pension funds. Um, You know, my hope is that we we can live off the pensions, but, you know, again, if we want to take, Hey, if we want to take the whole family somewhere for a vacation, I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to enjoy my wife, my family, and do think do the things that we want to do when we want to do it. Now, again, we're not going to be jet setting to Paris, but we we would like to go to the beach when we want to go to the beach. That type of thing. All right, Brandon, I'm going to give you the last word and uh, kind of the examples to me. And so, I really appreciate you guys being on and and sharing your story. It's going to be it's going to be really good for a lot of people when they hear it. I think. I think Thank this you. is I think this is great what you guys are doing. I, yeah. I really do. I wish I wish this would have been available when I was younger because it really is. It's it the internet would have been good. Yeah, that would help. <laughs> I, I, I'm just really old. Uh, but no, I, I do. I think I think there's a lot of valuable information here that doesn't get out there very much. And it's hard to like I think Brandon said, you know, a lot of times it's hard to ask people you know, without feeling like you're getting too intruding on them to ask them about financial questions. So I I think this is excellent what you guys are doing. Yes. And thank you so much for thinking of us. Yeah. Enjoy it. Thank you. You guys came highly recommended by multiple people that that we all kind of know together and run in the same circles with. So thank you guys again. And thank you to our audience for joining this version of the Fit Educator uh, Podcast. We hope you join us for next week's episode. Remember that someone is sitting in the shade today because they planted a tree a long time ago. If you like the show, please consider subscribing and leaving a review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook at Financially Independent Teachers. Until next time, everybody have a great spring break. Thank you.